This episode of Select and Start contains spoilers for The Last of Us video game and TV show. However, out of respect for those who recently got into the series, there will be no spoilers for The Last of Us Part 2. Enjoy the show. There's this unspoken agreement. A lot of people are very proud that they're making the game of the year, the top quality game, the most amazing art. While that's true, I don't know if they're calculating the sacrifices. This was a quote from a Naughty Dog staffer interviewed by Jason Schreier for his Kotaku article, as Naughty Dog crunches on The Last of Us 2, developers wonder how much longer this approach can last, published in March of 2020. Crunch is a term used in the tech and video game industry to describe the compulsory overtime developers work in order to meet a set deadline. Crunch can emerge for a myriad of reasons. Sometimes unexpected issues occur during development and overtime is the only alternative to a delay. Crunch can also become part of a company's culture and the expectation to work long hours for higher status takes up precedence over one's personal health and well-being. It is a culture of putting your life on the line for the company you work for. A 2019 survey conducted by the International Game Developers Association revealed that 40% of those surveyed reported that they worked crunch time at least once over the course of the previous year. Only 8% said they received extra pay for those worked hours. Crunch is fairly common in the development of some of the largest and most popular games, including Epic Games' Fortnite, CD Projekt Red's The Witcher 3, and Rockstar's Red Dead Redemption 2. It is a practice most often justified because maximizing revenue and minimizing backlash are more important to corporations than the health of their staff. Naughty Dog, the developer of video game franchises such as Uncharted and The Last of Us, are one of the most notable offenders of this, not only burning out their lower-level employees, but their senior staff as well. Amy Henning worked at Naughty Dog for a decade, serving as a game director in 2004's Jack 3 before becoming the creative director and writer of the first three Uncharted games. Amy Hennig left the company during the production of Uncharted 4 in 2014, making this the first Naughty Dog-developed Uncharted game she didn't direct. Following her departure, she would harshly criticize the working conditions at the studio. In a 2016 article written by GameIndustry.biz, she said, quote, The whole time I was at Naughty Dog, 10 and a half years, I probably, on average, I don't know if I ever worked less than 80 hours a week. There were exceptions where it was like, okay, let's take a couple days off, but I pretty much worked seven days a week, at least 12 hours a day, end quote. Uncharted 2's co-director, Bruce Straley, worked to direct Uncharted 4 with Neil Druckmann, his co-director on 2013's The Last of Us. Straley had even more tenure than Hennig, having served at the company since working as an artist on 1999's Crash Team Racing. Straley would leave Naughty Dog following the release of Uncharted 4 in 2016. As Jason Schreier noted in the aforementioned Kotaku article, 14 of the 20 credited non-lead designers on the game no longer work at Naughty Dog. That's 70% of those designers. This significant attrition at Naughty Dog is ironic given the game's story where Nathan Drake casts aside his peaceful domestic life to recklessly pursue his passion for adventure. Druckmann would go on to become co-president of Naughty Dog, as well as the creative director for The Last of Us Part II, which would continue the troubling trend of crunch culture at the company. The Last of Us Part II would become the studio's largest and longest game to date, and as scope increased, so did work demands. Naughty Dog games are known for their high level of detail and polish, with titles known to push the graphical limits of the consoles they're developed for. Unfortunately, the conditions created to meet those standards without significant delays has resulted in inhumane working conditions. It's evident by the mass exodus of talent at the studio that Naughty Dog's crunch culture is toxic. But what is the solution in an industry that takes so much from the workers while offering them very little? Bruce Straley, whose name doesn't appear in the credits of The Last of Us TV series despite co-directing the game with the show's executive producer, Neil Druckmann, offered one solution in an article that was written by the LA Times in January of 2023. Unionization. I'm Kiefer, and this is Select and Start.
Kiefer's a guy who's doing his part to talk about why he thinks that games are art and gush over things that are near to our hearts. So let's select a game and press start. Hello and welcome to Select and Start, the podcast about meaningful and memorable video games. I'm your host, Kiefer, and I have another great guest with me today. It's Stephanie Paxson. Stephanie, how are you doing today? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for asking. I am doing what I need to do to survive. <laughs> um, I hear you. <laughs> it's really great to have you here. Uh, I consider you a good friend, but for the people who do not have the pleasure of knowing you, uh, talk a little bit about yourself. Uh, what do you do and what do you like? Okay, what do I do? So I uh, work in marketing at a nonprofit that is focused on women's pelvic health. Also, it's called urogynecology, not uro as in European. It's like urology and gynecology is one word. I never knew about that until I started working here. Um, and then part-time, I freelance with social media and graphic design. My main part-time gig right now is being a TikToker for a biotech company. <laughs> and then what do I like? That's hard. Um, I like plants. Um, I guess this is audio, but Kiefer can see that I have some plants in my room. That was definitely a hobby I picked up uh, in the recent years. I like long walks in the city over the beach just because there's a lot of things to look at and people watching I love. What else do I like? I like baking. I try to bake a pie every pie day. How'd that go? It was good. It was good. I I think God did not want me to make a pie crust though because at first when I tried, there were bugs in my house flour. So I had to put a hard stop on that. Um, and then just trying to find the ingredients like near me, it was really hard. And that's just city life because groceries suck in the city. Yeah, no, I moved to an actual proper city, uh, a few months ago. I'm in Savannah, Georgia now. And yeah, having to drive out of the city to go to a proper store sucks sometimes, but I like everything else about it. Yeah, I hear you. I recently had a big Costco trip and this one woman gave me the dirtiest look cause I didn't know where anything was. And I was like, okay, that's kind of rude. Costco is overwhelming. But yeah, definitely best produce out of the city. But yeah, I'd say I like those things. I definitely like social media. That's like a big thing for me, um, whether that's good or bad for some people. It really depends. But I, I think for me, social media is like a good way for me to connect with people a lot easier or to keep up with my friends because I can be like, oh, check in, see what they're doing instead of me asking them. And then, as you know, I'm a really bad texter. So then it just ends up very long catching up and calling back. I get it. I think social media is bad, but it's, I also think it's great. And no, that's all I have to say about that. It is the the sword I live and die by. Yeah. Let's talk about video games a little bit. As we know, no community likes to gatekeep more than the gamers. Uh, so we do have to check your gaming credentials here at the top. Let's talk a little bit about your gaming history. Uh, who or what got you into it? What was your relationship with it throughout your life? And where do you stand on games now? Growing up, I was an only child and a girl with older parents, so it was hard for me. Or like my video game experience was definitely, I think, unique uh, compared to others because I had a lot of really girly things going on. Barbie spy games. Uh, I eventually, <laughs> my I think my first console was uh, a PlayStation 2, and mm -hmm. I was really into singing when I was younger. I still do a little now, but like not as much of a performance as I used to as a kid. But my parents got me a karaoke revolution, which was really fun for me just to stand in front of our TV and sing into this mic as these avatars would either boo me or cheer me on. And then I'd make all my family members do it with me. 
but that was definitely like a a lonely kid thing I did. Um, and then once I got out of the singing stuff, I eventually got really into platformers because that was also like an easy thing to do alone. I'm trying to think of like, like I had like a SpongeBob game, stuff like that. And then sadly, then my parents got divorced and I had to be more mobile <laughs> between my parents' houses. So I uh, was gifted a Game Boy SP, which I still have today uh, and still try to use every now and then. But that was like my bread and butter, I think, for a while. I played a lot of Pokemon. And then, again, like Disney platformers that came out. I was really into the Kim Possible series. Mm-hmm. And I'm like a completionist, which I like now acknowledge from recent video game stuff. But then like looking back as a kid, I'd always have to get like the one thing you couldn't get and like replay this level. I try to be cool. I had an Xbox 360 in middle school and be like one of those girls that like hung off the guys and played Call of Duty. But that was like the worst time of my life. Of course, I got bullied, as any girl on Call of Duty would get in middle school. And then I realized that I was just a faker and I couldn't get into that. Uh, And I didn't get back into gaming probably until I was an adult with my boyfriend who had uh, quite the collection. And he actually introduced me to the game we're talking about today, Last of Us. But like through him, I was able to experience all these games and figure out like what kind of gamer I really am. During the pandemic, I did a lot of free trials of Game Passes. So I binged like PlayStation's monthly Game Pass and did like Spider-Man. I really like smash or beat em ups. Mm -hmm. I just because I like to mash buttons and see what happens. Uh, Narrative driven stories, I realized I really like. So I got really into that. And like one year I gave up uh, streaming services for Lent. So I only watched people's gameplays because I didn't count that as streaming (laughs) the same way. But yeah, I really like that. I'm a big Fallout person. That was a game that really hooked me. But it was Fallout 4, and I know like a lot of people say there are better ones than that. But that's the one that got me because it was modded, and I didn't have to worry about what I was carrying because I'm not good at management at all. And I can't even say like for Fallout, I got into the lore yet because I was too scared of how obsessed I would be. But that's like a game that I just went crazy for. And then uh, I went to Boston in real life later that year. I was like, oh my God, this is where we bought that guy. And somebody's like, what are you talking about? I was like, oh, I played this game. Mm-hmm. So playing during the pandemic was like a big game changer for me because I realized I could do more and had actual skills than just platforming on my Game Boy. That's really cool to hear. And I, I really like to hear people's evolving stories about uh, their relationship with video games. I can't help but notice, but like the timeline of uh, you getting into The Last of Us and Fallout kind of line up with the uh, the global pandemic. Do you find apocalyptic fiction in the face of a, you know, horrifying times happening in front of us? Do you find that to be reassuring or do you find that it exacerbates your stress? I'd say for some things it did stress me out because I would like start to notice in at least TV, they started to make it like that their shows actually lived in the real world where COVID existed. And I had to stop watching this. I was like, that's like too real. And I would rather have that escapism. But definitely, like, I found a lot of those uh, similarities with our real life and these post-apocalyptic games, uh, which were, I guess, like, sometimes it was like funny. because I was like, oh, like, maybe I'd handle it differently if like I was like this badass chick that could do all these things. But um, definitely like Last of Us, I think when part two came out during the pandemic, it was a little hard to play because I was like, oh, we still don't know what the heck's going on. And it was very similar with like the spores in the air. So that was hard. But of course, I did play it because 
I was waiting for so long because they had the uh, delayed release. <laughs> right. Uh, no, I do remember playing uh, The Last of Us Part Two over the pandemic, but I had to wait a few months before I could get myself into that mindset to play it. So I think I played it towards the end of the year and I enjoyed it quite a bit. But also the parallels were deeply upsetting. But I think at that point I was sort of becoming a little numb and stir crazy. So I was just taking anything that felt like an emotion at that point. Was it hard for you to avoid spoilers since you played it late? Uh, I knew some stuff that happened early on in the game because it became a point of discourse when, uh, ahead of the game's release, there were cut scenes without context that leaked out ahead of time. And then there was arguments and discourse and discourse within discourse about all that stuff. And I didn't know the details. I just knew like maybe one specific thing, but everything else was so contradictory in terms of people's interpretations of these cut scenes that I just could not make heads or tails of it. And only truly by actually experiencing the game did I understand what the fuck anybody was talking about. So I don't really feel like I was spoiled so much as things were yelled at in my direction. Yeah. And saying I know a lot of people had very strong opinions on part two, but we won't talk about that. So we don't We're not talking about two today. Out of out of consideration for the people who just got into the Last of Us series because of the HBO series or just are getting into it now, we'll we'll let it be. Before we get into The Last of Us proper, I do want to ask, have you been playing any video games lately or are there any games that you're looking forward to playing? So I, this morning, I just finished playing Life is Strange True Colors because last night I fell asleep during a cutscene and I liked it okay, but I, I saw this review of it, which I totally agreed with where it's like, I don't help people with their emotions that much in real life, so it's hard for me to enjoy it in this game. And I was just like, yeah, I can relate. <laughs> Really pretty game, though. I'd say the the world building is very impressive. And like you do feel like you're in this mountain town meeting all these people. Um, I've also been playing a little bit of L.A. Noir on my Switch, which I know is probably not the most optimal console for that game. But I bought a Switch used again during the pandemic. So I was like, I need something to, <laughs> to stimulate. Um, and the guy that sold it to me through Craigslist was very nice and included all these games, including L.A. Noir And the actors in Eleanor, some of them are from Mad Men, and I binged the hell out of that show, and I was like, oh my god, it's Ken! So I had <laughs> to play it, um, just out of respect for those actors. No, yeah, Ken is one of my favorite characters in the show, so I haven't actually gotten to play Eleanor yet, but I, I did want to check it out because of that Mad Men connection. And I think it's by the same people that did Grand Theft Auto 2, right? Rockstar? Yeah, yeah, Rockstar Games did develop it, yeah. Yeah, so I did enjoy that. Not that I'm much of a GTA person. I like tried a little bit of it again when I was experimenting on the games, but I did really like Eleanor. It's very pretty to play because um, it has like that 1950s feel. And then what I'm looking forward to, I've really wanted to play Red Dead. Um, that has been on my list. I expected to do it this winter because I thought it was going to be another brutal cold winter where I'm just like stuck in my house, but it was surprisingly warm on the East Coast. <laughs> so I was just like, oh, being outside playing this game. But that is definitely a game on my list because I've heard only good things about it. Who is that? Is that also Naughty Dog or no? That's somebody that's else. A, that's also Rockstar. Okay. But, um, so yeah, I do want to try that. It's on my list because I heard like all the hype for it. I'm trying to think what else. I do want to play Fallout 3. I tried to do that on Xbox 360, but since that wasn't modded, I got so stuck because I didn't do enough side quests to level up. And it's really sad. Even my boyfriend like tried to help me get past um, some mutants. He's like, you fucked up. I don't know how to get you out of here. And I'm like, shit. And since that's like takes place in DC, I have to play it. I just don't mm -hmm. have the 
the skills and equipment for it. So I'm, I'm waiting till I'm like in a dark place and I just want to grind it out. Yeah, it seems like a an apocalyptic fiction and it's set in a place that you live in. It feels like there's a double dark thing to it, but you seem to be taking it in stride. So I'm not making a comment on what you're going through psychologically, <laughs> but I, I, I hope I, I'm hoping for the best. I well, I like got really into Bethesda games since it's based um, in Rockville. Well, no, I guess it would be Bethesda, Maryland, but I think they have an office in Rockville. But that's like very close to like where I am. So I thought it was really cool that they were able to perfectly imitate the metro station uh, for Bethesda. And then like just kind of seeing the comparisons of like how they mapped out the city versus the reality of the city was interesting to me. Because um, like definitely that uh, studio does their homework when it comes to places. So I really like that when a place does that. Yeah, no, I think that now that I live in a place where things actually happen, uh, being Savannah, Georgia, uh, there are a lot of movies filmed down here for tax reasons. Uh, the Menu was one that was recently filmed on Tybee Beach and recognizing that on screen was wild. Got and Magic Mike XXL. I just got into the Magic Mike trilogy and uh, they go to Savannah in that. And I'm like, holy shit. All right, cool. How'd you get into the Magic Mike uh, trilogy? Uh, so I'm a huge Steven Soderbergh fan and he directs those films. I mean, he directs the first and third and edits. He helped out with the second one. And hearing that it was also a story of affirmation and love and also how capitalism does commodify all of us. So in some way, we are all, you know, having our bodies exploited in this uh, society. All that kind of stuff just really made me interested in checking out the series. And it's been rewarding. I like all three of them for completely different reasons because they all have three completely different tones. I highly recommend the Magic Mike series on this episode of The Last of Us. You heard it here first, folks. I have never watched any of those. So I will take that recommendation. I'm like, I'm very like shocked because I guess I thought of it as just like Chang Tatum eye candy as step it up part two to his mm -hmm. career. No, I mean, it does. It did market itself a specific way, but it did kind of it was one of those like what this is marketed as and what this actually is are just two completely different things because the first Magic Mike is actually kind of deeply sad, <laughs> but okay. uh, it's also very sexy. So it has something for everybody. Perfect court four quadrant film. Yeah. Before we talk about the game that you picked for this episode, are there any other games that mean a lot to you that you haven't mentioned yet? Ooh, okay. One game, I think this was like one of the first games I played when I started to kind of explore different video games was What Remains of Edith Finch. I just really great storytelling. Um, and I don't know if I would, I call it set pieces, but you're like in a house and you just kind of are going through these rooms learning about this family. And I just felt very immersed in this world. So I definitely would say that was a special game to me because then also every time I suggest it to somebody, they like it. And I'm like, okay, yeah, this is a good game. I have good taste, right? <laughs> oh. I will second that. I do think you have good taste. I love What Remains of Edith Finch. It is a very moving piece of art that is really enhanced by it being an interactive experience. And the, like you said, the various set pieces, the sequences that are all different types of uh, gameplay based off of uh, the story that happened there. I'm trying not to be spoilery about it, but it is deeply sad, very moving very thoughtful uh, piece of media that is enhanced by the fact that you you play it. So yeah, no, you do have good taste. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I really like that. This one game, it's very silly, but I recently played it with some college friends. It's called Boomerang Foo. And it's like you play it on the Switch. So like anybody could play, which I really like. Cause I was like, oh, I've like never really played with other people besides myself on my Switch. So that was really exciting. Um, but it's just like you're a bunch of fruits and you throw boomerangs at each other. But it's just like a fun party game because previously like my go-to party game for people was like Jack in the Box mm -hmm. packs. But then I got a Mac and it doesn't 
hook up or actually I lost access because my Mac cannot run steam. Oh. So that was really sad. That was really sad. Um, cause I was like, yeah, I'm getting into it. So I actually use my work computer sometimes to play games and they're very aware that I use it for that. But yeah, I'd say those two games have been recently fun for me or like mean a lot. Spider-Man. I liked, uh, a lot. I also think that's the same voice actor as Joel. Spider-Man? Or am I wrong? No, uh, no. Spider Man no. is that's Sasuke. He's Sasuke. Okay. Yeah, Yuri Lowenthal is the voice of Spider Man. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But you're right. I was <laughs> Sasuke. You're right. My man. I also got very into Naruto. Um, <laughs> no, I think I'm thinking of Uncharted. Right. Joel... Nolan North is the voice of uh, Mr. Uncharted. What's his name? Nathan Drake is. Mm-hmm. I do think I think Troy the Baker. Right. That's Joel. Yeah, Troy Baker's Joel. I think he plays. Somebody in Uncharted. He does. He plays uh, Nathan Drake's brother. Uh, okay, he's Sam. Okay, got it. But yeah, I guess like learning about all these voice actors too in video games was really cool. It's like, oh my gosh, you're in this cartoon I watch. Um, so I really enjoyed that aspect. Also, I think of like playing games in general, it's just like finding out what all these people are in. Um, but yeah, so Spider Man, I said, was like really cool for me to play because I beat him up, and then when uh. Miles Morales came out. I like got it first thing, and I really enjoyed that too. And I'm excited to see what they do with that franchise because I know like he has the Spider Verse, but I feel like they're going to expand on it more. Right. Yeah. The new game is coming out this year, and I believe Insomniac when they say a game is going to come out this year because they've been super reliable in uh, delivering a product without overworking their employees. They're actually they are one of the rare gaming companies that don't use crunch when making their games. So. Not only am I excited, but I am also happy to not worry about this being made in hopefully dubious conditions. Looking forward to Spider-Man 2. I have a question. What do you mean by they don't use crunch? Crunch is a term in the video game industry to refer to the act of overworking employees on a very strict uh, turnaround. It's like intense overtime. Oh, okay. And uh, Naughty Dog actually got in a controversy over it in the lead up to the release of The Last of Us Part 2, Rockstar in the lead up to Red Dead Redemption 2. And it's become a big labor rights thing and it's causing a lot of union organization. So something to be bleakly aware of and all the things that we love is kind of made in strange conditions. But Insomniac is a gaming company that does not do it at all. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Well, thank you for teaching me something. I'm hoping to serve as like the everyday woman to the <laughs> listeners on this episode. No, I love having people of different experience on the show. I don't just want to have storied gamers. I want to have people who just got into gaming and people who had a profound experience with gaming. And I think that this is why I'm excited to have this uh, conversation with this specific game, because it is a lot of people's uh, first foray into video games. And it's going to be a lot of people's first foray into video games because of the HBO series. So without further preamble, we are going to talk about today's game, one that means so much to so many people. I am referring to 2013's The Last of Us. Last of Us was published by Sony Computer Entertainment and developed by Naughty Dog, mainly known for developing PlayStation titles such as the original Crash Bandicoot trilogy as well as Crash Team Racing. 
the Jack and Daxter series, and the Uncharted series. The game was co-directed by Bruce Straley and Neil Druckmann. Straley had worked at Naughty Dog since 1999 and would go on to co-direct Uncharted 2 with Amy Hennig in 2009. Druckmann had worked with Naughty Dog since 2004, with this game being his first directing credit. Druckmann and Straley would go on to direct Uncharted 4 together, and Straley left Naughty Dog in September of 2017, citing burnout and has started his own studio, Wildflower Interactive, in 2022. Druckmann is currently co-president of Naughty Dog. The music was composed by Gustavo Santolaila, who won the Academy Award for Best Original Score two years in a row for Brokeback Mountain and Babel. The game's art director was Eric Pangolinan, with Nate Wells as lead artist. As for the game's story, The Last of Us is set 20 years into a pandemic where a fungal infection turns people into zombies. Joel, portrayed by Troy Baker, who's done countless voice roles, including Booker from Bioshock Infinite and Reese from Tales from the Borderlands. Joel is a troubled man with a dark past and is tasked with protecting and escorting the 14-year-old Ellie, portrayed by Ashley Johnson, known for countless roles, but I'm going to shout out Critical Role and Infinity Train as the standouts. As they travel across the post-apocalyptic United States as she may be the cure to this horrifying infection, Ellie's immune to the infection, which attracts the attention of the Fireflies, a rebel group violently opposing militarized occupations of the last remaining cities in America. Marlene, their leader, believes the Fireflies could develop a vaccine with enough research and sends Joel from the Boston QZ across the United States. Joel agrees the highly dangerous task as it was the last wish from his close friend and smuggling partner Tess, who sacrificed herself to save Ellie and Joel from Fedra soldiers. Shenanigans ensue. The gameplay is played from a third-person perspective with a mix of gunplay and melee mechanics and an emphasis on survival and stealth as you take on and avoid military soldiers, scavengers, and zombie-like creatures called the infected who have been consumed by the aggressive fungal infection Ellie is immune to. Individuals who have been infected for long periods of time are overgrown with fungi and lose the use of sight but have enhanced hearing and strength. Think of the gameplay as a mix of Resident Evil 4 and the cover system from the Gears of War series with Naughty Dog's own Uncharted series mixed in there. Uh, you can take on enemies head-on and potentially die quickly, or you can carefully and methodically sneak past groups or slowly take them out with stealth. Uh, your resources such as ammo, melee weapons, and health packs are limited, so you need to be careful with how you go about taking on large groups of enemies. The Last of Us was released worldwide on PlayStation 3 on June 14, 2013. Other notable games released in 2013 include Grand Theft Auto V, Flower, Fez, Pokemon X and Y, The Stanley Parable, Tomb Raider, Super Mario 3D World, The Legend of Zelda A Link Between Worlds, uh, Metro Last Light, and Bioshock Infinite, which once again also starred Troy Baker, who is escorting a woman across a dangerous situation. Uh, Stephanie, do you have experience with any of these games I just named? I played Stanley Parable. Nice. I really like that because um, it's so odd and you just had to kind of figure out what the hell was going on. I know Grand Theft Auto. I tried to play some of it and I just couldn't get into it because honestly, I can't drive in games. It's really <laughs> not my forte. If a game like allows me to skip a driving section, I do it. Hell yeah. Because <laughs> I just always run people over and then like the cops come after me. So it's not great. I don't like driving in real life. True, true, true. But yeah, I feel like that is the only game that I played out of the ones I... Bioshock, you said Infinite? Infinite, the third one, yeah. Maybe I played, is that Americana-ish? Yes. Yes, okay, I, I played some of that too. With The Last of Us, that is like the first game I was actually able to shoot in. So um, I tried to do it in uh, Bioshock and I just was terrible because I'd like line up my character against the enemy and then put the gun up. And then like by the time I did that, the enemy's gone. So yeah. I had to just stop. Um, but I did read into the lore of it because I was like, okay, it looked interesting enough. 
Right. I do not recommend first-person shooters for people who are just getting into video games because it is big, uh, especially if you're playing them on console because you have to sort of manage the camera of the first-person perspective in addition to aiming and shooting. I've seen this happen with literally every single person who's tried to get into games. The locomotion is just too much to get into at once, so I do not blame you for not getting into uh, Bioshock Infinite on a gameplay level. I personally do not like Bioshock Infinite specifically. I'll leave it there. This is not what we're talking about today. But what ultimately made you settle on The Last of Us as the game that you wanted to talk about? I think because like when I first played it, I got so hooked on it and like read into everything I could. I like read the comics that uh, accompanied it. I did like the DLC. I read into like all these voice actors, learned about the studio because then from there I got really into Uncharted. But I just thought it was so interesting. And I guess also because I wasn't like a video game person as much before that all of it just like encompassed me. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is so cool. These people are doing like the coolest things. This video game, I've never seen anything like it, you know, compared to the Kim Possible platformer. So <laughs> it was very impressive to me, which is like why I liked it. And like, there'd be times where I just like stay up reading about it. And then like the next day I have to go into work and be a person. Um, so I think that's why I chose it because I was really hooked on it. And then when the show came out, I still had that same feeling where I'm like, oh, my gosh, now I have to learn everything about the show and compare it. Um, but I just think a lot of heart goes into the game. And that's why I really liked it. And also, like, seeing a strong woman was really cool to me, too. Yeah, no, I, there is a lot to love about uh, Ellie specifically in this franchise. I think that she is a very unique character, especially in the landscape of video games, which is still in the uh, growing pains of developing sophisticated characters, especially uh, non-male sophisticated characters. Ellie stands out for a lot of reasons, which we will be getting into. But I completely understand why this game appeals to you so much, especially as someone who was just getting into the game for the last few years. I do think the format is very accommodating to people getting into video games because it is very cinematic, which is a language that a lot of people do understand. People who watch movies kind of understand that as a on-ramp to uh, narrative. <laughs> and then the actual gameplay, there's nothing too, too difficult. There's difficulty settings that make it easy for people who don't want to challenge. Uh, and there's a lot of accessibility settings in the uh, most recent re-release that also help address that. Uh, you can play The Last of Us Part Two blind, which I think is incredible. Like if you just have literally the inability to see, there are settings with uh, audio descriptors that help you know your surroundings and deal with a uh, conflict. And I just think that's incredible. And yeah, no, I mean, and the story is compelling and the characters are interesting. And the actual gameplay elements that are in there, whether it's the violence or the stealth or um, the crafting, just there's a good variety of gameplay mechanics that a, a new player can grab onto and sort of use that to branch out into other series. So I, I definitely get why it appealed to you. Yeah, definitely the story was really compelling because it made you really like sympathize with the characters or like kind of think about like your actions because of course you just like want to do what you have to do as playing as Droll, but then you like feel bad sometimes i don't know it was just like my first impression of like a shooter game even though it's like much more than just being a shooter uh and i was very impressed i don't know no no that's great we're going to talk about this game a little bit more in a minute but i did want to take this opportunity to jump into a segment that i do every episode where i talk about the availability of the game that we discuss uh, it's called no country for old games
video game preservation means a great deal to me, and one of the goals of this podcast is to bring attention to the issue of making older games readily available for those who wish to play them. Games like The Last of Us mean a great deal to people, not just you and me, and I believe that they should be archived and preserved for all of time. Uh, so this is the part of the show where I rate a game's availability on a scale of A to ARG, and ARG is me being angry that a game isn't available to buy through traditional means, and it is in no way me advocating for piracy. That's illegal. Uh, the, the Last of Us has a pretty interesting history of availability that I want to get into, but before I do that, I want to ask you, Steph, when you replay The Last of Us, how do you play it? Like, what platform and which version? So I do PlayStation 4, and I just point because it's right next to me. Um, <laughs> and I do the remastered version. And I hope one day I can get my hands on a PS5 to play it on that. Yeah, no, the PlayStation 5 version looks incredible. The Last of Us was originally released on the PlayStation 3 on June 14th, 2013, towards the end of the console's life, as the PlayStation 4 would be released in November that same year. Just over a year later, The Last of Us Remastered would be released in North America on July 29th, 2014. Traditionally, remasters of games would be reserved for games that are over a console generation old, typically from the pre-HD era of video games like the PlayStation 2, PlayStation 1, etc. But to Sony, it seemed necessary for a massive critical and financial success to be available on their new console, especially since the PlayStation 4 was not backwards compatible with the PlayStation 3. The original and PlayStation 4 versions are nearly identical, but the remastered PS4 version includes improved graphics with greater draw distance, allowing players to see further and a higher frame rate and all downloadable content available from the start, including multiplayer maps and the Left Behind DLC, which is an additional story scenario uh, where you play as Ellie. You can sort of look at this as a director's cut version of the game. It isn't limited by the aging hardware of the PlayStation 3 and all of the content is in one package. The Last of Us Part 1, which was the remake that was released in September of 2022 on the PlayStation 5, is a complete visual overhaul with new controls, new character models, new art direction, and so on. That said, the actual layout and level design still resembles the original and all other 2013 sensibilities, which again, it's a remake, but it is fundamentally the same game. It uses all the same voice acting that the original uses. It lacks the factions multiplayer feature the original game had and that the PS4 continues to have, meaning if you purchase it at the full retail value of $70, you have to keep in mind that the original launched for $60 and included a whole multiplayer campaign that this new version does not have. So for people who are interested in getting into the series, you definitely want to decide, do the graphics matter most to me, the visuals, or do I want to go the more affordable option and play the original PlayStation 3, PlayStation 4 version? That is not to disparage the difficult work done by the developers of this new version, but to hopefully help differentiate the product because you can still purchase the remastered version legitimately through traditional means. One last thing I do want to note is that historically, uh, Naughty Dog has been developing games exclusively for PlayStation since the release of Crash Bandicoot in 1996, but this has recently changed. Uncharted Legacy of Thieves uh, was one of several PlayStation exclusives ported to PC recently. Uh, this was released in October of 2022, and now a PC version of The Last of Us Part 1 is coming out on PC on March 28th, 2023, which knock on wood, is when this episode will be released on the main feed. That's completely up to me. Shit. This is hopefully a good step forward in making console exclusives more readily available for players. So overall, I give this game an A. There's more than one way to play and access this game with more ways as of the official release of this episode. 
I only hope that the PlayStation 4 version continues to be readily available in the future. To the edge of the universe and back. Endure and survive. Excuse me? Savage Starlight. That comic I've been reading? That's what the hero says after a big battle. <laughs> Endure and survive. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I did not know that about it being <laughs> on the computer. Yeah. <laughs> Shows what kind of fan I am. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's great that The Last of Us is so accessible because it is such great storytelling and that it's also like it stood like time from when it was originally released because it's like now 10 years. Mm-hmm. So like I find that like so impressive and it really showcases the writer's uh, skills for that. And like I guess like the timelessness of it and even though it's like very like on the nose to our real life. It's still just like such a great world building and the characters are well-rounded, which I feel like I don't find in other games as much. Right. Yeah, no. And that's something you can possibly consider in the future. If you can't get a PlayStation 5 anytime soon, maybe PC gaming might be the route you go and you can be a Game Pass girl and also have uh, the Steam version of games like uh, Uncharted and um, The Last of Us Part 1. Something to consider. I won't tell you which way to go. I have a PlayStation 5. I don't need to make these decisions. <laughs> oh, must be nice. It is. I actually got the gamer PC and the PlayStation 5 in really close proximity, and I feel like I haven't played each other because I'm giving both attention at the same time. I feel like I have two dates to the prom. Ugh, no, but I played the uh, PlayStation 4 version when I was uh, prepping for this episode. I had played the game twice previously, once uh, with my friend in college back in 2017, and then again. Uh, right before the second game was released <laughs> and then I didn't play it because it made me too sad and reminded me of the pandemic and I needed to wait a few months. And then I played it again uh, with the release of the show and you saying that you wanted to talk about this game. So I'm excited to talk about my experience with it then, uh, your experience with it throughout the years. So let's get into it. The Last of Us received critical acclaim upon release, garnering a 95 out of 100 on the review aggregation website Metacritic. It won multiple Game of the Year awards and is among the best-selling games on both the PlayStation 3 and the PlayStation 4. With over 20 million copies of the game estimated to have been sold, according to a 2019 tweet by Daniel Ahmad, but we're not here to reduce the legacy of The Last of Us to a series of numbers and statistics. We're here to talk about the impact the game had on someone who played it. So let's get into it, Steph. Uh, okay. Hello. (laughs) This is Clem Bianchi. I'm a courier, delivering mail and space, one package at a time. If you're hearing this message, I need some help. I'm trying to deliver a package to a guy on Pluto. Says his name is Gorge Flummox. If anyone knows a Gorge Flummox on Pluto, please let him know I've been trying to reach him about his box of Lunarian cheese. I know the box is full of cheese because for the last few weeks, I've started hearing things when I touch my cargo. When I pick up a letter or a package, I hear conversations and sometimes even see things tied to whoever the mail is for or from. I call it the letter opener. It's yanked me into some real situations. A haunted house, a pizza delivery drag race, and even a revolution to take a city back from the bigwigs who keep its hoverboard sports engine humming. You can hear all about it on Additional Postage Required, a bi-weekly audio drama on the Moonshot Podcast Network, available wherever you listen to podcasts. Anyway, if you know Gorge, please tell him to give me a call. I think his cheese is starting to move around in the box. What is something you love about The Last of Us that you wish more video games would do? Mm, That's hard. I mean, I definitely found my love of scavenging through The Last (laughs) of Us because I did play on like a harder mode. So just like, 
opening all the drawers and I guess like like other games do this but with that I just like I love the sounds of it I thought the sound of Last of Us was really good like one thing I loved was turning on the flashlight on the backpack because you just hear that little click and as like an ASMR person that was just something that really like did it for me I was like oh I feel like I'm in it and I think the pacing was really good and the cutscenes I because sometimes when I play video games cutscenes as I said I fell asleep earlier through one I always was like very thrilled like to see what would happen next or like I was like on the edge of my seat and like clicking buttons to see if like when I'd have to pick it up um it really immerses you in the world which like you don't always feel in games and like also I played before pandemic so like I really just felt like oh my gosh like what if this world happened so I really like that um I love the dialogue because like even like playing it while you're just like walking to your next destination like you really feel that relationship between Ellie and Joel um or whoever uh companion they pick up along the way so i thought that was really cool or just uh i feel like every game does like an easter egg but for them like there's just like little pieces that i thought were like such nice touches um it's like the joke book that's great Mm -hmm. and because like i just thought that was like a a fun thing to have versus like how dark the game was in terms of just situation okay we need to lighten the mood ready It doesn't matter how much you push the envelope, it'll still be stationary. What is that? It's a joke book. No pun intended. Volume 2 by Will Livingston. (sighs) Let's keep going. What did the Confederate soldiers use to eat off of? Civilware. Uh-huh. But yeah, I just like, I I hope there are like more games. And I guess maybe especially as a girl that did very girly things until recently. In terms of gaming, um, I think it was like a great entry for me. And I hope uh, there are other games like that to get girls more into gaming. And Mm -hmm. not to be like, that's not the case now that girls don't game. Um, But I'd say among my friends, nobody would know what the heck I'm talking about when it comes to the video game The Last of Us. But they'd all be like, oh, Pedro Pascal, say less. (laughs) Um, And so like, I'd hope to have like that common ground to be like, you can play this too, like anybody can. So yeah, I hope for more games that have that easy access. No, yeah, I know some coworkers who are interested in playing the game now because of the the series and their um, husbands have PlayStations and they're just excited about the idea of playing and getting an alternate version of their experience. We'll talk about the TV show shortly, but I do want to cover some more ground with the uh, game here. And I do enjoy your points, especially about the uh, playing while the story plays out. I do think that a smart decision is that there are cutscenes that do interrupt your uh, typical gameplay loop with some more traditional cinematic approach. But it's those conversations while the game is playing that helps with the uh, the pacing of it. And even built into that to grow your relationship with Ellie mainly, but also, like you said, the other companions along the way, there are optional conversations too. You don't have to have them, but they do enhance uh, your relationship with Ellie when she takes the time to tell you a joke or uh, remark upon a piece of scenery around you or to just shoot the shit about what a coffee shop was like before the end times. Those experiences matter because it isn't just like you are being force-fed the relationship with Ellie. You are assisting Ellie. You are choosing to talk to Ellie. And that goes a long way in what the scheme is trying to do uh, as it ramps up towards its finale. A book just fell on my head. I only have myself to blame. Are we? I said it wrong. Hold on, let me read it again. A book just fell on my head. I only have my shelf to blame. <laughs> I ruined it. 
Yeah, um, definitely. Um, because I think that's like that's why I fell in love with the game too, is because it's just like you get to know this girl and like the past of Joel and like why he's like such a grump at first. Mm-hmm. And like I feel like you also don't see as many relationships like that in games so much. I mean, like right now I'm thinking of uh, God of War that has like a father son duo, and I'm like, okay, that might be similar, but. But that Am I was right after. on that? That was, was after. after. All right. Yeah. Well, there. So they inspired it. Um, but yeah, I just felt like I've never seen that dynamic um, as much in cinema. And like, it's nice that like in a way, I want to say it's like wholesome because it's just like learning how to build that relationship of like a parent child without like, I mean, of course, all the killing and whatnot, <laughs> zombies in the way. But it's just like, you don't see that as much. And I think it's just... Uh, a different perspective and it kind of again brings like that heart to the game right to talk about the like sort of history around the last of us in terms of what video games were and what they were since this is obviously a tremendously influential game and that's why god of war 2018 was structured the way that it was because obviously they have to be taking some inspiration because it is an escort a functionally an escort mission with a with a child and their parent you wouldn't believe with the landscape of video games now but those kinds of like i am guiding somebody through a situation that used to be the worst parts of a video game. Resident Evil 4, which is where the sort of model of what a third person uh, an action video game became, it sort of became the template for action video games for the decades since. A huge section of the game is you guiding the president's daughter, Ashley, uh, across like a bunch of zombies and horrifying scenarios, and she's helpless. She can't protect herself. And it is what people consider to be the worst part of that game because like this person is defenseless. Help me, Leon! You know, the character isn't the most dimensional either. And The Last of Us sort of almost directly addresses that by having a compelling character who you don't constantly have to babysit. There are some scenarios where she is in danger, but it is not as tough as it was in earlier video games when you had to help a helpless person across a, a, a zombie apocalypse or through a, a Russian prison like in GoldenEye 007 so uh, this changed our approach to how we have people walking alongside each other in a video game so that's that's very important I have a question since you have a PS5 did you play the demo for Resident Evil I haven't yet I'm very excited to because Resident Evil 4 is one of my favorite games I played a little bit of like the beginning on an Xbox 360 and I like really liked it but I was just like I was not good enough again to mm-hmm. get through it. So like I'm hoping that maybe with the new version I could try it. Definitely do. And I'm pretty sure the newer version is going to have a lot more um forgiving difficulty settings for people who aren't as used to the gameplay style of Resident Evil. So definitely try that out if you are struggling at all because I do think once you do learn the action system, it does become a very rewarding game to play. I only heard good things, so I'm looking forward to it. It's a fantastic game. But no, yeah, no, that I think that's the thing that games have learned from if you are going to do escort missions is give that character a lot more personality, give them more agency and their ability to assist you and just make it Ellie. I don't know. You know, some people took good lessons from this game. Some of them took bad lessons, but I do think that Ellie is a net good for that stuff. Tell them that Ellie is the little girl that broke your fucking finger. Is there Anything you wish this game did better? Are there like flaws that you have with the game or its structure or its story? Ooh, um, well, I guess this is just like my own gripe. I wish you could jump in the game. <laughs> that was really hard for me because like uh, like any game, I guess again, platformer, I was like, oh, like you could just like go over this rock. And it's like, no, you can't. You can't jump at all. 
like you have to climb or shoot your way through. So that was just like something to get used to, like as a concept for me. And then I know, like I've said this before, but I wish or online that I wish Ellie could swim because I hated some of those puzzle sections with her where it's like, oh, sorry, I can't do this. And I'm like, oh, I could just throw you across or like, if you could jump, we could do this. So that was like two of like my gripes just as like a new gamer that was used to things being a little bit easier. I don't know. I, I guess like since like I like love the game and like it was like my introduction, I don't find as many like gameplay flaws in me. That's just because I don't have as much to compare to. So I don't know. What would you say you wish it did better? Uh, like to, I think you hit the big ones for me in terms of the, how it actually plays. Uh, me going back to this game uh, for the first time in a while, I was so used to how Ellie plays. It's a limber kind of machine in the second game where she's able to prone and move around really quickly and kind of be a, a murderous weasel that Joel feeling like a, a fucking rock that limbers around like RoboCop uh, just is, it made me wish things were moving faster physically for him. When he gets into that like rushed sprint, uh, when there's an action moment going on, that's great for me. But his like light little jog when when you're holding down R1 and moving around otherwise is almost funny to me. It's a, it's a very silly jog and it's very slow and it barely feels like walking. Yeah. I definitely sometimes like you just wish like, okay, like I know you could probably go faster in real life, but it's just like, they're like, no, we got to hold you back. Um, mm-hmm. Another thing, I guess I did try this in real life after doing it so much in the game is how Joel would always uh, lift Ellie up to things. Cause I was just, again, cause they couldn't jump. But like, I found like some of that to be, I guess like a little annoying. Cause it's like every time it's like, all right, get on up. All right, get on up. And um, so like I felt that was like a little repetitive in some of the, I guess, maps of it. Yeah. That's the kind of thing that video games do when they want to hide a loading screen. Uh, like they want you to crawl through a tiny wall or they want you to, oh, you want to go through this higher elevation? Well, why don't you just send Ellie up there and then we can load the next room for you? So there's there's definitely a purpose to it, but it is kind of the thing that kind of slows you down because it isn't a cutscene, but it isn't uh, playing a game either. It's just finding the right position to press triangle in. So yeah, very astute observation there. Um, <laughs> it's a little silly. Oh, is that everything you hoped for? Jury's still out. But man, can't deny that view. Come on, this way. Going back to some other things that work about the game, we talked about the story a little bit, but I only hit the sort of vague beginning of it. You can be as specific as you want about this. What stuff about the story do you like? Like what works with you about Joel and what works with you about Ellie and what works with you about like why this story stands out from apocalyptic media to you? I guess part of it is because it's not as much about like the zombies getting or the clickers coming for you. It's more about like the relationships you have with these people. Mm -hmm. Because I feel like that was like more of the focus of the game is uh, these relationships rather than like the actual gameplay in a way. Because, like, of course, you're always fearful that you're going to get bit. But um, it's more like, I got to look out for this person. I got to look out for this person. And then, like, for all the deaths that do happen, like, you really feel it. That was um, something that I think, like, I really noticed. Because, like, there are times where I was, like, crying. And, like, like I've never cried for a video game before. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, like, that was, like, a big thing for me as, like, a first impression. What else did I like about it? Um, or, like, just things, like, I wouldn't think about like living in a post-apocalyptic world of like how you have to save just like little things because it's like you don't have mass production anymore or like how different towns are set up too I thought was interesting because like some were like government ran and so it's like very strict like you can only do certain things but then it's like once you 
meet up with like Tommy or even like see the fireflies, you're like, oh, whoa, like you have a totally different setup. So like definitely like the world building again, I just really enjoyed because I wasn't exposed to that before. So it's just like, wow, like all these different worlds could exist and I can experience it in this way. Um, but it's just like, you really feel like you're a part of it, which is something I like. And then like, I like feel kind of like a broken record, but like, again, like the cutscenes, it's just like, I just like sit back and then I'd start bawling or I'd be like, I just like really feel emotional for a lot of it. And like, I just never felt that with a piece of media, especially like with video games before. So I think uh, Naughty Dog really hit it with that. Right. Yeah. There's definitely an enhancement not to beat this dead drum that I've been beating on going on 18, 19 episodes now, but the interactivity creates a greater sense of intimacy with the world around you because you feel like you're participating in all the action of that for better or worse. When Joel kills a person, you are killing a person, but you're also protecting somebody in your mind because Ellie is standing right there behind you or Sam and Henry are around or Bill is there or so on and so forth. There is that necessity to endure and survive. You're on a mission. You're trying to protect somebody and you can justify that violence because you are willing to do these heinous things to protect uh, the, the person you're with. You also just use that time to get to know your person better and move things around and that makes those cutscenes where you are just having a moment to sort of catch your breath uh, hit harder um, and you being more willing to engage with it. But speaking about some very specific details about this game, uh, Joel is a very violent person. He does emphasize that throughout the story, she's just a kid. And the reason that he has like this conflicting relationship with this kid and her presence in the apocalypse that she was born after the apocalypse. Joel was there during the day that the world went to shit when the outbreak happened. And he was a father at that time, a daughter that was Ellie's age, who was killed basically day one. And he barely got out alive and had very little reason to live, but continued to live and did heinous things to survive with his brother, Tommy. Uh, which brings us into 20 years into the future where he is this jaded, cynical uh, smuggler who is very selfishly living his life. He doesn't really have any true intimate connections to anybody. Uh, he doesn't like talking about like his relationship with Tess while she's alive. And he tries to bury uh, any emotions he has about Tess after she dies. Hey, look, um, about Tess... I don't even know what Here's how this thing's gonna play out. You don't bring up Tess. Ever. Matter of fact, we just keep our histories to ourselves. Secondly, don't tell anybody about your condition. They think you're crazy or they'll try to kill you. And lastly, you do what I say when I say it. We clear? Sure. Repeat it. What you say goes. Good. Ellie is sort of like this flip switch in him because at first he is doing it out of obligation regarding her as functionally human cargo. And as you, the player, get to know her better and as Joel understands her better as they go throughout this uh, apocalypse over the course of a year, gets to know her better, he becomes emotionally tied to her and they have moments together where it's like almost a paternalistic relationship that reminds him of the paternalistic relationship that he had before. It's believable because of how much time you are spending together that, that would develop. It's not just over the course of a few levels. It is many cutscenes and many experiences you have together and many violent experiences where he is having to do violent things and trying to shield her from it, but also like 
she saves his life at multiple times and wouldn't have been able to do that without her. It's 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 good stuff. Yeah. Um, I guess like playing as Joel too and just like how video games are violent in general, I definitely didn't feel that sense of like being like, oh, this guy is like super violent when I was playing at first because I'm just like, it's a video game, you got to survive. But then like seeing it, I guess like in the cutscenes and then also now in the TV show, it gave me like a different perspective of like how he is. Because I also feel like some things in the video game were a lot more subtle. And I guess that's because he was like bearing his feelings. Because um, like I feel like he and Tess were not so romantic when you're playing either. It's just like they're buddies. Um, and then like again, like that came out later that they did. But it wasn't like really that prominent when they were looking for that battery. I think it's like interesting how they do like the contrast between Sarah and Ellie because like they're so opposite. Sarah was like very soft and sweet while Ellie's just like born in the apocalypse. So she's a hardened kid like from the get go. Here. What's this? Your birthday? You kept complaining about your broken watch. So I figured, you know. You like it? I think this is... It's what? nice, but I... I think it's stuck. It's not... What? No, 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 no. Oh, ha, ha. Yeah. Because you play as uh, Sarah in the beginning until uh, it switches to Joel as he's carrying her through the madness until she is ultimately killed, not by uh, the infected, but by uh, a soldier. And that sort of is meant to inform your opinion on not just the infected, but uh, people too. It makes it easier for you as the player to get into the mindset of taking out the people who are conscious living beings as well as uh the violence that you commit against the uh the already uh infected and video game violence is already a function of most video games you play i think that that is kind of like the default mode that people assume a video game is and this game has a more interesting relationship with violence and it makes you try and uh interrogate that a little bit because it's not the kindest like fantastical fantasy violence in um a blockbuster film it's not john wick you are a lumbering older man and there's a child with you who is watching all of this who as far as you know hasn't killed anybody before and it's like are you corrupting somebody by doing all this in front of her what lessons are you imparting to her about trusting people and getting to know people how much can you justify as that being like what you need to do to survive and how much of it is selfishness? Like at the very beginning of the game, you are driving past a family on the side of the road uh, and Joel's, you know, mindset is... What do you think you're doing? Keep driving. I got a kid, Joel. So do we. But we have room. Hey, Keep hey, driving, stop. Tommy. Stop! Someone else will come along. You should have. And that kind of tells you who Joel is before there's even a complete collapse of society. There's definitely ideas that it's ruminating on about the nature of violence, how much of these people already exist before something bad happens, and how much of that are you going to nurture in uh, future generations and the people around you as you commit these acts of violence. Your watch is broken. <laughs> I feel like I'm talking too much. I want to make sure that you No, are- it's okay. <laughs> Give me a pause. I think when I'm like really nervous. Um, but also like I guess like for me, like seeing a kid in like this world too was new. Because I feel like most of the times you don't have like kids in like violent video games. So seeing that was definitely uh interesting and also like just being like a young girl, you don't usually see that. And just like her way of interpreting the world around her. Cause like also since she was born post breakout, just like she 
And also I asked, like, she had a pretty tough life of growing up, no family, just very government. But just, like, how she sees the world versus, like, how you see it, like, how he had to change into this hardened man because of the loss of his daughter. Um, and how they, I guess, connect on that of both being these hardened souls. But, like, I guess you also see her, I feel like the first time I see her really soften up um, is when they meet Sam and Henry because of how she relates to, Sam is the kid, right? I think Sam is the young one, yeah. Okay, I always get that confused. But yeah, so like how she connects with Sam, because like the moment where he's like, oh, I want to take this train. And the brother's like, no, we only take what we like need to survive. And like, he's, I guess, more similar to Joel, where it's like, you got to do what you have to survive, leave things behind, like only carry the important stuff. But then like for her to like pick it up for him to have is like a very like kind thing for her. And like, I think like one of the first kind things you see from her just because like you, she didn't have to interact with people as much the same way you see Joel. Uh, or it's like she's not in a position yet to be giving to somebody. So right. it's like nice to shine that soft light on her. Uh, and then the impact it has on them afterwards. Because like that's, I think, um, even though like she has dealt with death before, I think that one was like a very uh, hard one for her. Right. Every companion that you meet along the game or every named character that isn't just there to blow uh, a bullet into their brain. serves some sort of narrative purpose to like compare and contrast the relationship uh, with Joel and Ellie. Uh, Tess is sort of where Joel is at in his life. That makes her change when she is uh, bitten by the infected and sacrifices herself to keep them from being killed by Fedra. Impactful because that's the life Joel currently has. And he is leaving that behind and honoring the last wish of his friend to take care of this girl for the next however the fuck long he doesn't know. Guess what? We're shitty people, Joel. It's been that way for a long time. No, we are survivors. This is our chance. It is over, Tess. This is my last stop. She's infected. Give me your arm. This was three weeks. I was bitten an hour ago, and it's already worse. This is fucking real, Joel. You've got to get this girl to Tommy's. He used to run with this crew. He'll know where to go. No, no, no. no. That was your crusade. I am not doing that. Yes, you are. Look... There's enough here that you have to feel some sort of obligation to me so you get her to Tommy's. And then after that, it's going to be Bill. And Bill is kind of like what Joel could be or what Joel is at the risk of having without any functional relationship. Bill doesn't have anybody or he had somebody and he lost them. And that was philosophy is that it's best to be alone. And he is a very unstable person who is totally uh, down to commit acts of violence without questioning it because he just sees it as self-preservation. And that becomes a turning point in the relationship between him and Ellie because like, he sees what total isolation looks like. Well, let me tell you a story. Once upon a time, I had somebody that I cared about. A partner. Somebody I had to look after. And in this world, that sort of shit's good for one thing getting you killed. So you know what I did? I wisened the fuck up. And I realized it's got to be just me. You keep babysitting long enough and eventually it's going to blow up in Bill. your face. And then after that, it's Sam and Henry who are also uh, a man and his little brother, uh, the child who is roughly Ellie's age. And there's a softness to Henry, but there's also a sternness to Henry where that develops and where Sam uh, goes, where uh, he gets infected. Again, it's, 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 all, it's all changes. Then there's the preacher, and then there's uh, Marlene, and these characters all represent something in these people's lives. It's I see I see what it's doing, and I and I, I 
appreciate it. Yeah, I feel like with Sam and Henry, that's like another potential of like what Joel could be because it showed like that, even though they were siblings, but like a parent and like child relationship where you have to just take care of somebody that's younger. But of course, like Joel didn't care about Ellie the same way Henry did for Sam. So like I also like found that interesting because it's like you know like he should feel like as like loving and want to protect these kids as much as he could, but he's like uh, I don't know. But yeah, I like that. And then back to the Bill. Bill is probably like one of my favorite characters I interacted with. One because he's a gay icon, <laughs> um, and I think the way that they told his story in the game was really interesting because if you scavenged enough, you would have like read um, some notes between him and Frank, I believe. Yes. Or at least a note that Frank left. And so I like like seeing that that was like the coolest thing to me because I was like, oh, my God, there's this whole other story within this story, um, which is like something that they do well. Again, it's just like leaving like these other character or like development with actually having like that character on screen. And also like just seeing like how Bill lived too, like the total like apocalypse survival. And then when the pandemic happened, I'm like, damn, I wish I was him. <laughs> I should have had the setup. I should have hoarded all my canned goods. Yeah, I don't want to be Bill. Uh, Bill being Bill seems a little little excessive. But if you scavenge around enough, you find notes left around that color in the uh, relationship between uh, Bill and Frank. If you look hard enough, you kind of realize that Bill didn't have a partner. He had a partner, uh, a partner of his that was not just you know somebody that he was keeping alive and supporting, but romantically linked with. You read a note at the end of this level or mission, whatever structure, whatever you want to call it, where um, you find the body of uh, Frank. The whole contrivance around this uh, mission was you find Bill. Joel's like, you owe me a favor. Help me get a car. He says there's an engine block. You have to go over all the way around these zombies in the school to get it. The engine block's not in the school. So they go to Frank's house. Frank has hanged himself because he got infected in the process of getting the uh, engine that they needed for the car, which is now ready to go for you. Bill? Somebody had the same idea. They stole my shit. Well, then what the hell is plan B? You ought to be thankful you're still drawing breath. That was plan A, B, C, all the way to fucking Z. And furthermore, tell Tess that she could take Don't this you job. Don't you bring Tess she into this. Shove it right it has up nothing to do with... Jesus. What, you know this guy or something? Frank. Who the hell's Frank? He was my partner. He's the only idiot that would wear a shirt like that. Frank is dead. You never interact with Frank. The only existence of Frank that you see is like Bill's emotional shit that he carries with him. And then some notes laid around before you get to the outskirts of Boston, there's a note that says like the person that you got to get this fake passport to his name's Frank. And then you see that there's a dead body there and the person got killed waiting for Frank to finally show up because he never did because Frank also died. And then there's the note at the end where Frank writes a message where, Hey Bill, if you ever find this, I had to get away from you because you're a fucking psycho and I don't love you anymore. And that clues you into the true romantic nature of things. It's optional gay representation in a way but missable gay representation we should call it but it is absolutely a gay relationship and a dark one because it's a person who would rather be alone than to be around this bill guy who has clearly lost it uh out of a sense of protecting himself and we'll get into how the the show handles that shortly and how i kind of prefer its interpretation but yeah no it's dark yeah i 
because like one, I was like, yeah, gay rights. But I was like, ooh, you know what? That's pretty dark. And I guess it's like, no matter what, like you're still living in this world and like there's going to be things that happen. So like, I really appreciate like seeing that type of relationship in a different light. We've talked about the uh, individuals that you encounter that sort of work as juxtapositions or clearly inform the relationship between Joel and Ellie. Uh, towards the end of the game, Joel gets injured at a university, and for the first time in the main game, you actually play as Ellie as she has to defend herself and also try to find a way to take care of a nearly comatose uh, Joel. They also have a very uh, horrifying encounter with an older man who has this very... Uh, it's, it's David, right? The preacher? That's his David, name? David, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he is a preacher. He, he doesn't immediately attack you, so you sort of have to question what his you know, intention is, but there is no Joel there to help Ellie in that situation. It's just her. I want to know what your experience was like playing the Ellie section of the game. And uh, since that's such a, such a dynamic change from everything else. Yeah. Um, well, definitely it was like getting used to her play style because I feel like she was like knife heavy. So having like to learn how to do that or knowing like she couldn't maneuver the same way Joel could, but then in other ways that was maybe helpful because she's smaller. That was neat. And I guess like her, I'm trying to think like the scenes with her. There's like one part where you're with David and like clickers come and like having to do that. I remember like I had to do it so many times because I wasn't used to it, but then I was just like, God damn it. I'm going to beat it as Ellie. No help. Um, But yeah, I just thought like it was cool to see like her perspective, like being on your own. Cause like, Sometimes you were used to having, like, again, a companion that would help you, like, maybe with, like, the AI would, like, get, like, another enemy if you couldn't get to it. But then it was mm-hmm. just, like, just you um, at some points. And so that was interesting for me because, like, I had to figure out, like, okay, what kind of, like, player am I when I'm Ellie? Like, am I more, like, going to be upfront to people or am I going to have to be, like, further back? So that was definitely different. And uh, I guess the dialogue you have with her and these people because, like, she's still trying to figure out, like, should I trust him or what? Um, and then, like, the final, I guess, battle between her and David, I, like, thought was – because I hate sneaking. That's one of, like, my least favorite things to do in a game. So, like, trying to do that, I was just like, oh, my God, I can't just pop out at him. What do I do? Like, that's uh, – part of the game was really memorable for me because it took, like, a lot of figuring out for, like, where I need to hide um, mm-hmm. in order to, like, get him. Because And, like, with the fire going, like, it was, like, very dragged out. But, like, I definitely felt, like, that sense of panic because I'm like, okay, I don't have Joel who's, like – Ronnie to like do all these things. So like, how do I play as her to get what I want? Right. For some people, this is the weakest part of the game because of that uh, character switch and having to play as a weaker character, a 14 year old girl versus like a 50 plus year old man with like years of combat experience. Do you think it is one of the better parts of the game or do you think it's kind of like, um, yeah, that is hard to say. Let me think. I guess in a way slow because I don't like sneaking. Um, so mm-hmm. I definitely liked being Joel because I had more power. But it was interesting to switch it up. And also, like I know from my other experiences of like playing games like where you can choose if you're a guy or a girl, it was nice to be a girl um, right. just like as a, a relatable person. In a way, I'd say it was strong because like it uh, challenges the player to have to strategize and like think differently from how they were doing everything for like the majority of the game. And with that, too, it's like, I, I don't know, I felt like really on edge when I played as Ellie because I'm like, I don't know what to expect because like 
you're going to treat a little girl a lot differently than like if you see a grown man as like an attack. And I felt like that kind of played into how uh, people, enemies like approached her. Yeah, the thing that really stuck out to me, and this was since the first playthrough, the uh, the brutalness, like when uh, a clicker will bite into your neck and rip out like the meat and veins of your neck and then you just cut the black and die. Like with Joel, that's kind of like, that's disgusting. And then when I played as Ellie and I saw it happen, I'm like, Jesus fucking Christ, that is dark. I never want to see that again. I never want to die so Ellie doesn't have to die kind of kind of shit. It, it, it is definitely an experience change. I definitely can see why people would find it to be a weaker part of the game, but I do think there is a sort of necessity to it, even if some people don't care for the execution of it. I do think it is a necessary uh, thing to sort of show where Ellie is at and to be able to play as her to sort of make it seem like it isn't just a shallow relationship that the player is having with Ellie. I think there's a a connectedness that you have when you actually play as somebody versus like when you're just interacting with them, seeing her hold her own against the horde of infected without Joel and seeing her make smart decisions about survival that not just protect herself, but also Joel with the penicillin ironic that a fungus saves him. Um, I don't know. I, I, I like that. Um, I think David is a bit too broad as a villain. And honestly, like it's very, very intense seeing, um, for people who aren't as familiar, he is a preacher who, uh, has resorted to cannibalism because his uh, religious cult is not doing a very good job holding their own in a, in the winter. He t- intends to use Ellie for some uh, very, very dark purposes that I don't, I don't want to say it out loud. So he's a it, pervert. He's a pervert. He is a pervert and it's gross and it's nasty. And he says some horrible things to you when you are uh, have ultimately have to fight and kill him. And that becomes Ellie's like, changed moment where she experiences a personal trauma uh, entirely alone without uh, somebody there. That was a horrible, horrible thing to go through. It was a lot for me, even as a player to chess, who has played so many video games at a time to uh, deal with. And it's, 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 I'm still reckoning years later. It's like, is that good writing doing all that? Or is that manipulative writing where you are, you know, experiencing a vulnerability like that and seeing these, this stuff happen to a, a teenage girl from an adult figure, you know? So I want us to know where you stood on that kind of thing. Mm, that's very interesting to hear your perspective on that. Because I guess as a a former teenage girl, um, I've had to be aware of perverts all my life. Um, yeah. So I guess like, I don't know, like part of it's like I'm used to men being so gross that I guess it didn't affect me in the same way because I've seen it in the light. I'd say ask any woman. It's a common experience to know somebody that's a pervert or just to have a kind of like a bad experience similar to that. Um, so like definitely like to see it, especially having to like a kid was gross. And like, I definitely had to take a pause after that section. And since I was like playing it with my boyfriend too, it was like interesting for us like to talk about that because I don't think he picked it up, um, or like didn't like feel as affected. But then like when he saw me playing it and be like, oh, and he's like, oh yeah, I guess like that would be like, especially gross. So yeah, I did think that was like interesting. Cause also like, I think like the way they brought it up too was kind of like abrupt. Mm-hmm. Because like you like they didn't hint at it either. It's just kind of like all of a sudden he's like, "Yeah, I'm gross." Um, yeah, I am so a I cannibal. Thought... I'm religious, and yeah, yeah. Like, you already had you already had multiple strikes against you. I know. So I was just like, "Oh man, he's the worst." Um, so I did think that was interesting because I think like compared to like all the other people you interact with, they weren't to that extreme. Like everybody has in common that they're surviving, but he like had more of an edge where he's like, and I'm trying to keep this religion going and my other grossness. Um, well, like everybody else is just like, it's me or somebody else. Um, so it's definitely like a 
a different light for a villain. Right. I was just curious because like for a lot of men, they're not used to that dynamic in a mainstream video game where they are the object of an older man's like lewd perversions and for a woman that's like a lived experience so i mean like it can be a teaching moment for a a male player for some or i mean for some and for women i mean like this is like a a lived experience that so many of them go through and and that's the kind of like the 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 weird you know relationship that i'm having with this like gross moment in a video game like and i just that's why i wanted your perspective on it because i've only been able to play this game from my own perspective yeah i mean you definitely see that type of situation more in like uh tv and movies mm-hmm. but that was definitely like my first time experiencing that in a video game but then like i'd say like other games like i feel like the only other game that i had like maybe somewhat that experience was just um in the wolf among us because they have um sex workers in it right <laughs> but um but like to this extent like it was very graphic yeah no i mean i for the record ellie protects herself at the at the end here but just like the him attempting to and yelling that he intends to do that to her is like just enough alone to unsettle you. She ultimately uh, kills him and screams. And then Joel has that moment. And it's like a big emotional moment for a lot of the players where he like grabs her and says, I've got you. A securing moment in their relationship where they both are sort of switching vulnerabilities, where Joel is able to, you know, he is putting his paternalistic instincts fully onto this person uh, and displaying a certain new sensitivity that he hasn't felt in a while. But Ellie is also experiencing like an adult, adult trauma for the very first time. And she's becoming hardened and changed in a way that uh, goes into their final scene when they get to Salt Lake City and actually are close to the Fireflies base. So she's kind of despondent and quiet and Joel is a lot more future oriented and regarding her in a sort of daughter capacity in sweet ways, but also kind of ways that feel projecting in their own way. So is everything you were hoping for? got its ups and downs, but I can't deny the view, though. With the end of the game, you finally get to the Firefly um, Hospital, and the message that they give you is like, we're going to perform an operation on her, and she will die from it. But from our perspective, it's going to be the best good for all of people. And Joel's like, you can't be sure of that. And they have a very aggressive, you know, get Joel out of here, kill him if you have to, if he tries to fight back. Joel is like, you can't take this girl from me. I just got a daughter again. And there are earnest emotions in there, but there's also like a dark, you know, I'm projecting feelings of a lost thing from me on here again. And this becomes like the sort of turning point in the game where it's like, what is the purpose of living in an apocalypse? And what purpose does dying serve in an apocalypse? And what what are your perspective on the ending? Not just like 
the justification of Joel's actions because that's been litigated to death. But like, what is your like emotional reaction to like the events in like the final hours of the game? I mean, I definitely didn't expect it when you get there. Cause like, I was like, Oh, everything's gonna be great. It's gonna be a happy ending. <laughs> um, so then like when Marlene's like, Oh, sorry. Um, we got to take her from you. That was just like, um, you know, like I had to kind of reflect on myself, like what would I do in this situation? Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, now I'd probably give her up, but it's hard, but like knowing that mm-hmm. loss, it's hard. Cause like he, that was like the only thing like that kind of got him to unsay to go again, but like it gave him a sense of hope again for himself that he like wouldn't turn into Bill that um, he can have a relationship again. Cause also it's like, he just found Tommy and like, that's something he has to later address anyway. But it's like this girl that he's been traveling with, like he cares for her clearly it's like she's helped him get over his loss of Sarah and coping with that. And it's just like he needed that um, or like needed her in his life because she served that purpose of like helping him get over his trauma. I don't think that's necessarily true. I think if anything, like she stops him from moving on. Like if if you think of it as like he doesn't accept mm. it, he refuses to accept loss. If he were to let her go for the fireflies. I think that would have been like, I can accept losing a life mm-hmm. or something like that. But ultimately the choice that he makes is he kills everybody <laughs> that he runs into in the hospital to retrieve Ellie. Sweet Jesus. Doctor? What are you doing in here? I won't let you take her. This is our future. Think of all the lives we'll save. No! no! <laughs> And stuffs her in a car, kills Marlene, who is a character that you have actually interacted with multiple times throughout the game and has a relationship with, not a relationship in a romantic sense, but like has a new uh, who Ellie's mother was and obviously has her own like emotional hangups about having to, what she perceives is do the right thing for Ellie. You can't save her. Even if you get her out of here, then what? How long before she's torn to pieces by a pack of clickers? That is, if she hasn't been raped and murdered first. It ain't for you to decide. It's what she'd want. And you know it. The choice is taken away from Ellie from both parties. But Joel, like, refuses to accept the, the Firefly narrative. Even though he would know that Ellie would probably choose to go down this path if given the choice. So I do. I, th- I think it's a refusal to accept it. I think it's. A, I think it's a projection. I'm not interested in having a conversation. If it was the right or wrong thing to do ultimately, but I do think mm-hmm. it is an interesting conversation to have, and I'm glad we're having it. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's a good, a good point. Like, yeah, he can't deal with loss, but I feel like Ellie has helped him at least one step of uh, his loss of Sarah, because like I feel like he didn't seem like that open to kids or like getting to know anybody really. So like to allow himself to open like open up to this girl, I feel like was like a big step for Joel. And like, I mean, it even like led him to finding Tommy and like yeah. eventually reopening that relationship. Um, but yeah, I mean, ultimately, like the whole theme is that like the things you do to prevent loss are just like so that you can survive. Right. I, I, I empathize with the perspective of, you know, finding Joel to be in the right, given the two situations. Um if you love somebody as a paternalistic figure, is it not your job to protect 
somebody who cannot be protected? Is it not your job as, you know, a father to uh, protect your child? And, you know, I'm a person who doesn't have a very strong relationship with my father. So I definitely have a lot of emotions tied up in all of this where it's like, my dad wouldn't do that. Um, but it's a lot. I definitely understand why people feel so strongly about this ending and why it's still being discussed and why it's being relitigated again with the uh, finale of the TV series that follows the general beats of it almost exactly. It's, it's, it's interesting. And I'm just saying, like, I definitely understand like all perspectives, but I do think it's definitely like a paternalistic thing that inform your relationship with, with family is definitely something that people bring to this conversation. Let me go. You just come after her. Yeah. Um, I guess, and like also like him just being totally alone. It's like hard, I guess, to relate to that in a way because like I have people in my life. Like if, and even if like somebody were to pass, it's like I still have a family while like for Joel, he didn't. So like I get that more. Um, And like I guess thinking about my dad, I think he'd want to keep me, but I think realistically he wouldn't have the guns to do it. Right. My, my my now dad, of course, I was adopted, so I was given up anyway. But um, just a little dark humor. Dark. Uh, I mean, Ellie was adopted. I don't know if she yeah, chose to she be did. adopted, but she's adopted. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's another interesting layer to the conversation. Joel isn't the paternal, isn't the actual father of Ellie, but he wants to be in like his own way. And it's like, is that fair to Ellie? None of it's fair. Nothing of what happens to Ellie in this game is fair to her. From the Left Behind DLC where she loses uh, her first love to the stuff that happens, you know, the cannibalistic cult leader tries to do to her, to the stuff that Joel does on her behalf without her agency. Like, her life is unfair. And that's another, you know, perspective you have to consider, like, the Ellie perspective and not just, like, understanding what Joel did. That's very true. But I feel like also for Ellie, it's like she never really had anybody. So it's like she'll just cling on to people that do show her care. Um, Because, like, you'll see even see that, I guess, like, with her and Joel, like, she starts to care for him. Even yeah. though, like, he's a big old grump. Like, she refuses to let somebody else take her the rest of the way because she wants Joel to do it because she's used to Joel. And it's not just that she's used to Joel, but, like, she knows Joel and trusts Joel. Tommy knows this area. Oh, fuck. Than... Well, I'm sorry. I trust him better than I trust myself. Stop with the bullshit. What are you so afraid of? That I'm going to end up like Sam? I can't get infected. I can take care of myself. How many close calls have we had? Well, we seem to be doing all right so far. And now you'll be doing even better with Tommy. Not her, you know. What? Maria told me about Sarah. Ellie? You are treading on some mighty thin ice here. I'm sorry about your daughter, Joel. But I have lost people, too. You have no idea what loss is. Everyone I have cared for has either died or left me. Everyone fucking except for you. So don't tell me that I would be safer with someone else because the truth is I would just be more scared. You're right. You're not my daughter. And I sure as hell ain't your dad. We are going our separate ways. And that's a very moving moment of the game. The ending of the game is uh, Joel lying about everything he just did in the name of Ellie. What happened? We found the fireflies. Turns out there's a 
whole lot more like you, Ellie. People that are immune. There's dozens, actually. Ain't done a damn bit of good, neither. They've stopped looking for a cure. Even people who like think Joel is right understand that this is the wrong thing to do because now Ellie is going to have survival guilt for the rest of her life. I'm taking this home. I'm sorry. Her asking him outright, like, Swear to me that everything that you've said about the fireflies is true. I swear. cut to black that's that's the end of the game as far as this story is concerned Joel ends on a lie and now their entire relationship in the future is going to be built around this lie yeah um, and like her responding okay I think is like her also reflecting or kind of reflects her turning into Joel in a way because like a lot of times like he was very short in his answers like in the beginning of the gameplay um, when they would talk, he'd just be like, uh, okay. Like, he wouldn't give her that much. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, I feel like at the end, with her just being like, okay, it's her responding the way that Joel would respond to things and kind of just, like, accepting that. And then, I guess, like, mirroring how now she's going to, I don't say, like, grow up to be Joel, but, like, that is going to be her father figure, and so she's going to learn from him, uh, starting with, like, this lie and, and accepting it and learning from there how to deal with life. No, yeah. The scariest thing in the world is becoming your father whether you want to or not i've never considered that before her shortness in the way that she communicates versus joel talking excessively towards the end uh is that dynamic switching ellie was the talkative one and joel was the one just going okay it's everything (laughs) no i I really appreciate you adding to that because that makes that ending conversation uh more impactful to me yeah i like um i like i didn't i definitely didn't pick it up at first um but then, like, watching it, it's like you kind of see the switch where, uh, like, leading up to the Firefly, she's not as talkative. And it's like, and I mean, part of it's just, like, her kind of, I think, feeling that nervousness and, like, knowing that she might lose Joel after this or, like, not knowing what's going to happen. But I feel like that is still, like, kind of, like, where the switch is starting to happen of, like, him, like, really kicking into, like, that father figure um, and her just being like, this is my guy and I got to stick with it. No, yeah, I mean, like... I was just taking a literal interpretation until this conversation that she's being short because one, she was just traumatized by the winter stuff. And then afterwards, like now I have survivor's guilt based on the information that Joel told me that that compounding. But yeah, it is also like her growing up and becoming more like Joel and Joel exploiting a situation to have a daughter again and him becoming more not innocent. Absolutely not. But um, trying to reclaim some semblance of a normal life anything else you want to talk about the game before we move on to the discussion about the tv show if you are listening to this and you haven't played it i really recommend playing it or like play it with a friend it's really fun that's what i did if there are parts that i couldn't do but it just like um it hits a little bit of everything in gameplay and like even if you watch the tv show i think you'll still be very impressed by the game and um the differences between the two what impact do you think this game made on you? It definitely made me more open to different types of games, but I definitely lean more toward uh, games with a strong narrative. Mm-hmm. I like recently read a book. I think it's called like the greatest games ever played or something like that, um, where this guy um, really just talks about games that have uh, 
good storylines or like different types of stories that can be told and how they're utilized in all these games. And like when I was reading, I was like, oh yeah, like I played this game and I liked it. So like it made me kind of realize I really look for that. And I think um, it's just like another media outside of TV and film because that has gotten old to me because you binge through everything that you can during a pandemic. Uh, So definitely like with this game, it made me like realize like, oh, video games can be like this new form of entertainment for me. But like, what I love is the feeling of immersion in the game in the world. Um, So like, I definitely try to seek out things where um, they're more narrative based, definitely not shooters. That's probably the only game I'm like a ride or die for but uh, other shooter games. No. But yeah, I definitely say narrative heavy games is what I seek out because of this. Oh, yeah. And that kind of tied into the next question about this uh, making an impact on the type of media you enjoy and seek out. Is it just video games that this game made uh, an impact on the media seek out? Or do you find yourself leaning towards uh, other types of media besides video games that resemble The Last of Us to you? Mm, I feel like post-apocalyptic is like a, a genre that I fancy without like actively seeking out it's more just like if i start playing the game like oh i do like this and i think it's just like again seeing the world in a different way or like what it was and could be depending on circumstances so i feel like i like those things i don't know i've never watched the walking dead which i feel like could be the closest thing to the last of us just because of zombies don't worry about it don't worry about the walking dead don't worry about i did play one of their games and it was terrible uh the walking dead telltale video game by the same developers as the wolf among us the first season incredible Mm -hmm. incredible game i would recommend that if you want to do anything related to the walking dead besides that don't give a shit about it personally I played the last one of the series because um, my boyfriend, he's like, I played all of them. I have to finish it. And I'm like, okay, I'll play it with you. And it was just so bad. So don't play it. <laughs> no. Play the play the first one. Uh, I cannot, I never played past the first one because I heard that they're kind of diminishing returns afterwards. And what you told me is kind of, kind of validating my choice and not playing past the first one. But the first one's very good, especially if you like the narrative of The Last of Us. That's going to conclude the main game discussion. But when I asked you to come on to the show, you said that you were also interested in talking about the new Last of Us television series. And I wanted to make sure that we set aside enough time to make sure we talked about that in that episode. We deliberately timed this call together so we could actually talk about the show in full because the finale just aired this past Sunday as of the time of this recording. I'm excited to get into this part of discussing the show because I love talking about adaptations. Before I started this podcast, I made an hour-long YouTube video about the now-canceled Netflix adaptation of Cowboy Bebop and how it fundamentally failed as an adaptation and misunderstood the appeal of the original. Yada yada. That's what that video is for. I'm not going to relitigate that here. This discussion is obviously going to be much less scripted and more inclusive of one perspective besides myself. And that's why I want to talk to you about this stuff. So let's talk about HBO's The Last of Us and where we stand on it. Really quickly, The Last of Us is an HBO series created by Craig Mazin, known mainly for creating and writing the 2019 HBO series Chernobyl, as well as directing and writing the 2008 film Superhero Movie. And the show was also created by Neil Druckmann from earlier. Both are sole credited writers for the series. It has just finished airing its first season as of the week of this recording, and it has at least two more seasons planned 
based on The Last of Us Part Two, which again, we are not discussing. The original game's composer, Gustavo Santolaila, returned to provide music for the TV series. The series is set 20 years into a pandemic where a fungal infection turns people into zombies. Joel, now portrayed by Pedro Pascal from Game of Thrones, Narcos, and The Mandalorian. Joel is a troubled man with a dark past who is tasked with protecting and escorting the 14-year-old Ellie, portrayed by Bella Ramsey, also in Game of Thrones, and the animated Netflix series Hilda, which I enjoy. As they travel across the post-apocalyptic United States, Eshi may be the cure to this horrifying infection. Sound familiar? Because it's it's the game, but this time it's a TV show. Uh, the series is generally faithful to the game with many settings, scenes, and lines taken directly from the game. Several actors from the game even appear in this series with Merle Dandridge reprising her role as Marlene. Uh, every other returning actor portrays a different character. Troy Baker, uh, who plays Joel, plays James, who is a senior follower of the preacher David. And everybody else plays a character crafted specifically for the show. Jeffrey Pierce, who plays Tommy in the game, plays a character named Perry, who is a right-hand man to the Kansas City QZ rebel leader, Kathleen. And Ashley Johnson, who plays Ellie in the game, returns to play, let me check my notes here, Ellie's mom. (laughs) So, but enough about that. Did you enjoy The Last of Us series? I did because it is probably one of the best video game adaptations I've seen. Mm Mm-hmm. But I feel like as a show, it doesn't do the game justice just in terms of like the storytelling because it seemed rushed. I, that's generally where I agree with you. It's one of the better video game to passive media adaptations you can get, but it is not enough. And it, it, it's simply not enough. And I want to talk with you about that because I want to see where we line up on that and where we may not line up on that. So what notable omissions uh do you think are uh, in the show? (laughs) Okay, so like things they left out. Just like stuff that you feel like the game may have done better or that the show is missing, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, Joel, I feel like didn't really talk until the last few episodes. Um, Like like in the beginning, sure, like they had to introduce everything, but I just felt like he didn't build up a relationship with a lot of the characters like they do in the games just because it's like, the dialogue is happening while you're again, like walking to your next destination before the action happens. So I think that was like a big uh, issue between the two of just like not forming those same relationships. What else did they do differently that I was kind of, um, again, uh, with Ellie swimming, I wish they made a bigger deal about that in the show because it was such a big deal in the game. Like I know they like alluded to it, slightly in like one scene where she's like oh i can't swim they're like oh you can walk around it's shallow enough i'm like no that was like such a big part that she couldn't swim um but i guess it's just because it's like gameplay versus it's literally a throwaway line in the show like it doesn't lead up to anything like if you're one of those like observant like checkoffs she can't swim you would be very disappointed because the swimming thing never comes up again yeah so i was like a little bit of fan service mm-hmm it was interesting that they brought in like a new character to just tell the story of Sam and Henry, but I, I love that actress. So I was really into it. Um, I don't know her name though. Uh, Melanie Linsky, who I also love. She's in yellow jackets and so much more. I love her uh, as an actress. I honestly do not love the way they handled her character in the show. Oh, okay. Why not? So uh, the big part about the last of us and both games is that it really messes with your perception of a character because like you sort of 
get to know them through um, their actions. And then some information sort of informs you as to why they are the way they are. With Joel, we see that immediately because we see the death of his daughter and then we play as him throughout the game. And then like we see him develop through uh, his relationship with Ellie. We see Henry and Sam through, you know, their lenses with each other. Characters are able to express themselves as characters and we actually get to know them. Uh, this is also something that carries into the sequels and is actually a huge theme of the sequel. We don't see what happens to Melanie Linsky's character. We just very quickly run through like, here's why she is the way that she is. And there is no real interiority to it. They're just told that she is the way that she is because this thing happened to her. And we never really see her shine through as like a dimensional character. We just have to deal with her like I, I understand the necessity of her character if you're adapting what's the pittsburgh sequence in the game in kansas city in the show because like when you're going through all that stuff with those characters it's just like nameless faceless people so i definitely understand like why they had to give like a specific character to that but i don't think i think we needed either one more episode to flesh out kathleen or no kathleen at all i feel like we, we were like a half measure with the kathleen character that's a good point. I guess like for me, because I've only seen that actress either as like a voice actor or in her role from like, hold on, I'm trying to think of the name of it. It's the one with Elijah Wood. Are you talking where, about Over the Garden Wall? Or the no, other? not Over the... Where they're people. It's in person. Uh, I don't feel at home in this world anymore. Yes, that movie was so offbeat, I guess I'd say. Mm -hmm. um, but like I loved I like watched it with my mom we we're like what the heck is going on but like seeing her in that I was just like this woman's great and then like when yeah. I learned that she was Beatrice in Over the Garden Wall yes also with Elijah Wood okay yeah I should know that I watched that show every year but <laughs> yeah I just I just thought that was really cool and like because I feel like those were both soft characters and then to see her as like this badass woman she's like I don't care boom you wronged me um, yeah. It was just kind of cool to see her as, but like, I agree that um, that character definitely could have, uh, could have had better development. Yeah. Definitely watch Yellow Jackets if you're kind of into like a hard and Melanie Linsky thing, because she definitely gets into that in that show. And Elijah Wood's also going to be in the second season of that. They can't, they can't stay apart. They can't stay apart. I love it. I, I Like I said, I love Melanie Linsky. I just feel like Kathleen as a character is indicative of like the problems that I have with this series where everything is just too rushed and we kind of spend a lot of time on the wrong thing. The big issue that I have is in the game, obviously, you spend a lot of time doing the actual action -y sequences that fill in time between the big cinematic moments. And you can't depict all of that in a TV show. They're completely different mediums. But I think the show goes too far in the other direction by not having enough infected in them at all to the point where they actually change one of the more like meaningful moments in depicting Fedra as like this really cruel people uh, because they're the people that kill Tess in that sequence in the game, but they don't have enough infected moments in the show that they're just like, ah, fuck it. Uh, the infected kill Tess, which makes sense why they did it in the show, because after episode five, you don't really see infected except in the left behind uh, episode. Yeah. And I guess like the way they set up the infected in the show I got like a little confused at first of how they worked in this world. In the game, it's spores in the air. And like, if you're bit, you're bit. But then like in this, they had the tendrils or the things that came out of their mouth, which really creeped me out. Mm -hmm. um, and like the fact that they were like a hive mind in a way. I don't know if that's the best way to describe it. But no, like, that's good. <laughs> yeah. But they're like all connected. I like, 
that kind of confused me because I was like, well, if this person did this, then is that going to notify them? And like, I feel like that wasn't as fleshed out as it could have been to explain Mm -hmm. like the world of the clickers. Yeah. Like Kathleen is a cool idea at the wrong time because like that interconnectedness as a concept doesn't go anywhere. Yeah. Um, But yeah. And like, I agree, like the government, it was only like barely touched on too. Mm -hmm. But I guess like maybe just budgeting reasons is why it was so short is what I like to tell myself. Um, now that I know that they're going to actually like do two seasons for part two, it's like, all right, get that HBO money. Let's bring on more actors we've seen. Maybe we'll see like some euphoria people in the world of <laughs> The Last of Us. But yeah, so I guess definitely like the, the infected was different, but I do appreciate that they were not CGI'd um, because I think that a lot of times, especially like in scary movies, CGI'd monsters ruin it. So I appreciate their effort to do costumes. So you don't hurt us, right? That's right. That's a weird fucking tone, man. That's just the way he sounds. He has an asshole voice. Joe, tell him he's okay. Everything is great. Dude. Fuck. Sam and Henry, I think that I like the TV um, version of it because I bawled my eyes out at the end of that episode. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think just like, making that age change because in the game i feel like sam's about the same age as ellie yeah but then in the show he's much younger this cute kid and i watched like the after credits for that episode and the kid one he's from maryland so shout out to maryland but um he's deaf in real life and i'm just like wow they really found like a deaf actor a kid and they said like um i want to say maybe they said this in the podcast that it was really hard to cast him because when they, they put out the casting call, they were like, we want like a young black kid that can sign. And they said like, there was like five kids that auditioned. Um, so like, I found that really interesting because I feel like everybody would like want to, but like also that's like a very specific thing. And I feel like for people that are deaf, they are not so much in uh, media. And I think that's like a great way to want to see an actor on there to also open up that uh, conversation to have more or like people with disabilities actually playing people with those disabilities or just like giving them a chance to even be in entertainment. I'm sorry. What? Getting older faster than you. I like you older. Older means we're still here. (laughs) I was never afraid before you showed up. Going back, since you're talking about adaptation changes that you do like, I want to talk about one that I like, which is episode three of the show, which ended up being my favorite, uh, the episode with Bill and Frank, which is a complete radical change in uh, the games. Bill is a paranoid loner who pushes away the person he loves because of his violent uh, paranoid tendencies. But here, uh, Bill and Frank are a couple that are together for about 16 years. And there is no pushing each other away. It's um, a deeply emotional, isolated thing, completely separate from the story of uh, Joel and Ellie. The episode is bookended with Joel and Ellie situations, but they don't meet Bill, or Ellie specifically doesn't meet Bill, because uh, they grow old together and die, Bill and Frank do. Uh, Frank is dying of cancer, and Bill decides, like, look, you were my life. I dedicated my life to you without you. What am I really living for? And it's it's the rare instance of like, instead of death being a tragedy, it is just kind of an ending for these characters in a world where 
there is no formal society left. And I think I like that change better. And it is kind of an interesting inversion of Joel's relationship with Bill in the games where it's like, oh, this guy's weird. I should probably like check myself and make sure I don't end up an isolated weirdo like him. And instead, it sort of informs like his future change and like, oh, this guy was willing to die for somebody that he cares about and like decided that there was no life to live anymore after his family, his only family was gone. And how is that going to affect Joel in the future? Find out next time on Dragon Ball Z. I, I like the change. I think it definitely makes the the gay romance stuff that was only implied in the game better. Yeah, that episode was beautiful. Because I know like for people that did not play the game, they're like, well, why was this in here? And so I was just like, I get that. But it's like, this is the best episode. So you have to deal with it. Um, but yeah, um, I loved the the change in it. And I thought the casting was really good. Um, oh my God, I forget his name now. I just want to say Ron Swanson, but I know it's not. That. Uh, Nick Offerman. Thank you. Nick Offerman. Cause I, and then the other guy who plays Armand, whose name is? Frank is played by Murray Bartlett. There we go. Um, since I like binged watched the Lo- the White Lotus right before watching The Last of Us, it was like cool to see like this actor just like immediately used again by HBO because they're like, yeah, this guy rocks. Um, and I thought he did a great job with Frank, especially since like we didn't really know Frank as a person if you played the game. Why am I even saying that? This isn't for me. This is this is for us. Who cares what they look like? I do. Our home isn't just. Our house, it's everything around us! Give me a fucking break. Oh, I'm sorry, I forgot. I live in this world. You live in a psycho bunker where 9-11 was an inside job and, and the government are all Nazis. The government are all Nazis! Well, yeah, now, but not then. And I guess like that also maybe echoes Joel's feeling of loss because he uh, tried to kill himself when he lost Sarah of just like, there's no point. And then he kept on going because uh, he missed, but... I think that kind of like shows what could have happened like out of love in a way. Yeah. Yeah. That episode was really neat. And also just like to expand on like how he lived. Cause like, I guess like in the video game, he just was like this hermit, but like in the show, it showed like that they really did build this beautiful life uh, on the property they had. Yeah. In the games, he's technically still alive. He doesn't die in any way. He's just a, a guy you run into who helps you and teaches you how to make a, a bomb and then <laughs> dips out of the narrative. And here he is a, a, a true character with some change and introspection. And I, I do feel like it's a good change. I do think that is like a good way of adapting and making a change for something that you may not have liked in hindsight in a game. So I'm going to tell you something because you're probably the only person who will understand. I used to hate the world, and I was happy when everyone died. But I was wrong, because there was one person worth saving. That's what I did. I saved him. Then I protected him. That's why men like you and me are here. We have a job to do. And God help any motherfuckers who stand in our way. As much as I love this specific episode, I think it also speaks to the weakness of the show overall, that there's a lot of great individual stuff, but a lot of it does not gel as like one cohesive whole for a show because there's just like they have to rush through so many things to hit the main beats of the first game. And if they had like a few more episodes or some more money, they could really just drive home how effective 
the narrative was. But as it stands now, I do think that the game stands head and shoulders above the the show for now, despite how great the central performances are. Yeah, I agree. Like my boss, um, who's never really heard about the game until now, like she would ask me sometimes about it. And she's like, so does everybody just die? And I was like, it seems like that because in the episodes, they're just rushing through all of like the people you meet. But I promise it's like a lot more prolonged when you play. <laughs> and she's like, oh, okay. Cause like, it seemed kind of sad. I'm like, well, yeah, it is um, in a way. Uh, what else did you like? Ooh, um, like I said, I like the central performances. I do really like uh, the casting. Uh, I do think uh, obviously you're going to cast up. Uh, Pedro Pascal is like the uh, paternalistic father who stepped up. I'd never seen Bella Ramsey in anything. I just know Game of Thrones. I haven't actually seen Game of Thrones. They are great casting. I do really enjoy the performance. I like I like Hilda, uh, the Netflix series. But uh, this is the first time I'd really seen them in a live action setting. And they knocked it out of the park. Great Ellie. Great performance. That's the stuff I really liked. And oh, like you like you were saying earlier, I did like the rare depictions of the infected that we did get. I did like that it was a uh, practical work and not just uh, CG monsters. For Bella Ramsey, it was like hard for me to watch her at first because I knew her from her Game of Thrones character. Plus, it's also like I haven't seen her aged like I saw her as a kid too. Um, but it was weird to also know that she was like British playing Ellie, um, which I think there is like another actor um, on the show that was like British, which is like it's okay, you know, people can play different nationalities people can change but it was like hard for me to get <laughs> yeah but i guess it was like hard for me to get over that for a while but then like i finally accepted her as like as ellie but i think trying to imitate this game that i'm so like attached to it's hard to be like oh like you're not my joel you're not my ellie mm-hmm. there was an uncanny valley effect yeah um but i do think the actors did a good job with it um because like i know they weren't allowed to play the game and i felt like that was a good choice because you try too hard to imitate what the game did and that's hard to live up to yeah i saw some complaints online about from gamers who were like why wouldn't you let them play the game it's research and uh i'm like you've never been an actor before (laughs) because a thing that they teach you uh as an actor is to not look at other performances uh of the same character as a reference as much as possible because you get too self-conscious trying to imitate or you worry that you're trying to imitate the character in question it's good acting advice. It may not make sense to you as a person who hasn't done uh, work before, but it is legitimately a good thing because that way you're not consciously trying to you turn your performance into an imitation. Like I said, the stuff I didn't like, uh, the thing that's so inspired about the game is like it's a new take on the zombie with an iconic kind of change to it with the uh, the cordyceps. And the fact that we see so few of it undercuts their presence as a threat and it doesn't... Mm-hmm. It makes the Firefly's perspective as like this being the main problem of the apocalypse less believable because, yeah, we get the point in the game that like the the humans making the conscious decisions to carry out acts of cruelty are the true like, you know, facilitators of the end of the world. That, yeah, I get that point. I get that point. But like, show me the Zambos. I want to see the Zambos. And I want to know that like, like when Ellie's going to have like this crisis over like, you know, I'm probably marching toward my death by going to this uh, Salt Lake City thing. Like, I hope it's worth it. You've seen like maybe eight zombies. Yeah. <laughs> I know you don't get that same like sense of like desperation. But I will say I was so grossed out by um, the scene with Tess when the zombies like finally take or I don't know what I call them zombies. But when they finally take over the building she's in and the one like kisses her that uh, it was just like 
too graphic for me. I, like all the the gore, the blood was fine, but like watching that kiss was one of the grossest things I've witnessed. Overall, would you say that this is a, a su- successful adaptation, or do you think it, it it fails to live up to the game? I want to say successful, just because like I've never seen like a again a game that's been well adapted to either TV or film. But of course, like it doesn't live up to it because a lot like some so much of the game is the gameplay. And that's like where you really get those core um, interactions and like significant like relationship building. I guess because mm-hmm. like it's like, OK, like I just shot this guy for you. But like you don't feel that watching the show. Yeah, I guess with the show, I like like being able to talk about it with people, which is nice because like I like through it, I found out like a lot of my girlfriends actually played the game. And I'm like, well, why didn't you talk about it as obsessively as I did? Um, so that was kind of nice to open up that conversation. Cause I was like, oh, great. I can like fangirl with somebody now. Um, yeah. Besides like my boyfriend having to hear me just da 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 da. So I did like that, that it's like getting people more into this type of media. And like hopefully that video games will just like grow from there because more people will be interested, hopefully, from The Last of Us show. But yeah. What do you think? No, very well said. I think you hit my points. I'm glad that it is exposing the audience, a, a greater audience to this franchise. And I hope more people are compelled to check out the game as a result because the game is better. I want to call this a failure of an adaptation. I want to call it bad. But I do think that it doesn't have the core strengths and like the core appeal of the game. Like you said, like it's your relationship with Ellie through the act of playing the game that really sells that relationship and it makes your culpability in rescuing her at the very end of the game a lot messier. Uh, I don't like that the the actual hospital scene in the game is pra- in the show is practically a montage. Like it really feels like it should have been two episodes in Salt Lake City with them like really living in their new dynamic and then like having it end with like oh she's been ripped away from me now and then have that final episode be like the dial turn in Joel's head trying to like beat people to death in violent ways. I can understand why that would be uncomfortable watching like man of the year, Pedro Pascal be too, too violent on screen. I like the series fine. Uh, I do recommend playing the game over it if you have the ability to, just because like it really gets into the nuances of that relationship better. Is it the best video game adaptation I've personally seen? No, I pref- I like uh, the Castlevania Netflix series. Uh, that's a really good adaptation. Previous guest of the show, Maddie, has really talked up Arcane, which is a League of Legends adaptation of all things. And I don't like League, but I'll check out a gay little animated drama. I'm not hot on it. I'm not cold on it. Uh, I just am burdened with the the game. <laughs> I, I prefer the game. I'm sorry, sorry I interrupted you. I would say, yeah, I feel like most people would say that. And I'll be honest, I did watch part of Arcane and then I stopped. So I should resume that because I have only heard uh, good things about that too. So maybe they'll take my place of uh, HBO's version. We'll see. Um, Stephanie, it was really good having you on the show. It's really just great to talk to you in general. You're very smart and insightful and getting your perspective on this game and how it got you into this medium. It, it really means a lot to me. Before I let you go, I do want to sort of give you the chance to recommend some stuff uh, based on our discussion of today's game. So what would you recommend to listeners based off of your enjoyment of The Last of Us? If you like The Last of Us, you should listen to Gustavo because uh, he did all of the album because uh, his music, I'd say, is it's like good background music like when I'm working or just like need to have something on. Uh, so I, I mean, I found him through them. 
let's see what else have i like learned that i liked from playing the last of us i'm gonna repeat fallout if you like post-apocalyptic fallout's definitely um a goofier franchise when it comes to that type of world and i found it to be really good escapism but that's just kind of like a fun open world scenario where you can just do all these different side quests and depending on what uh system you use you can mod it and like build all these things make it what you want another one i'd suggest is this game called road 96 where it's about um these kids that are trying to cross the border but you don't know why and i won't say why um but it's like really interesting because it's like you play along and you have the possibility of either dying, getting arrested, or crossing the border. And like, they'll show this map and how far you get to it. But just like, um, also again, like kind of post-apocalyptic, but um, fun characters and they all interact with each other at one point or another. And you can't like, you'll see them in different scenarios as you play as these mysterious characters trying to cross and you kind of try to figure out like who you are exactly in the world for all these people but i um found that to be a really fun uh game and with the way of storytelling too it's like i had to keep playing to piece everything together to be a whole so i'd say those are my two main suggestions that are related to the last of us based on our discussion of today's episode i leave you all with three recommendations Uh, Three books, actually, all of which have well-received adaptations. The first one I want to recommend is Station Eleven by Emily St. John Mandel, which was recently adapted into an HBO miniseries starring uh, Mackenzie Davis. Like The Last of Us, it is also a story about an apocalyptic event, wiping out most of the human population and how people uh, endure and live through that. But it is mainly through the lens of this traveling uh, acting troupe that sort of brings entertainment to this uh, the few pockets of civilization there are left. A lot of it is also about this uh, comic book that was written before the apocalypse. It's called Station Eleven. And I'm bringing it up because like, not only is the apocalyptic setting very reminiscent of the one in The Last of Us, but also because comic books are a big motif, especially in the game. Uh, you give Ellie these comic books that you find throughout the world because she is a fan of them. And that relationship with... Uh, you know, a very specific form of media and how obsessive somebody can get over a specific thing. When art is something that helps you move forward under extremely dire circumstances is a powerful thing. And I do think that Station Eleven is absolutely worth reading. I haven't watched a TV show yet, but I've heard only great things about it. Definitely check it out. Uh, My second recommendation, also a book, uh, also a very, very good movie, True Grit by Charles Portis, uh, which was adapted into a 2010 film by the Coen brothers. This was uh, a very incredible read, and it's a, just as good of a movie. It is a story about a young girl uh, who is not taken seriously by the adults in her life. Her father is killed, and she wants justice. And she enlists the help of a ailing older man who is blind in one eye uh, in the movie played by Jeff Bridges to get justice for the death of her father. Look, it's, it's, it's a great story. Hattie is one of the great fictional characters in my mind, and everybody should at least watch the movie because it is phenomenal performances across the board. I cannot remember the name of the girl, but she's very popular now. Um, oh, Haley Seinfeld? Yeah, Haley Seinfeld plays Maddie in the movie, and Maddie is, like I said, one of the great fictional characters. Please... Watch or read the book, the book especially, because you get a lot of, uh, there's a lot of great prose 
from her that the movie can't fully portray because you don't get like the interiority of her character the same way that you do in the the book. But please check out either version. It's great. It's really Last of Us vibes. Like if you like the sassiness of Ellie, you would really like the uh, the talk that Maddie lays on these supposedly smart men around her. And then lastly, A Bleaker Thing, The Road by Cormac McCarthy, another all-time book for me. Also extremely, extremely upsetting, but it is very much about like a dying father trying to secure some form of future for uh, his son after a nuclear winter, not a nuclear winter, but some apocalyptic event that brings about like a perpetual winter uh, has driven uh, society basically mad. And, and along the way, they run into all sorts of troubles. And he is just worried about there possibly being a future at the end when he tries to guide him from the north down to Florida, where hopefully it may be warmer. Cormac McCarthy is one of the great American writers. He writes like nobody else, uh, also quite literally because he's the kind of person that does not use quotation marks or punctuation basically at all. One of a kind book. Definitely read it if you have the chance and never read it again after the first time because it is deeply, deeply sad. Also adapted into what I hear is a pretty good movie starring Viggo Mortensen, but I already read the book and I have no intention of ever interacting with that piece of media ever again. So I will not be watching the movie, but the book's great. Check it out, but only once. Thank you so much for your suggestions. I really appreciate them. And I really appreciate you taking time out of your day to come on my silly little show where we talk about video games. Before I let you go, please promote the hell out of yourself. Um, I feel like I haven't been working on anything really too much, but you can follow me, uh, Spaxon, S-P-A-X-S-O-N on Instagram. That's probably where I mainly am. Other variations of my username are Cadet, which you can find me on Twitch. I've only streamed like twice. Um, or on Twitter, that's also my handle. But yeah, I'd say my content is usually just uh, educational or fun because I think that's what social media should be used for is just for fun. Um, but yeah, thank you so much for having me on your show. I really appreciate it. And I hope uh, this gets others to check out the game or just further be a fan and listener of yours. Absolutely. I really appreciate that. I really hope people check out your stuff. I hope that people actually do take our recommendations or find something new to appreciate about video games or the video games that we talk about uh, because of our discussions. You are very great to have on. You're very thoughtful. Thank you again for coming on and thank you so much for listening to this episode of Select and Start. Once again, I am your host, editor, and promoter, Kiefer. If you enjoyed this episode, please give the show a positive review wherever you're listening to it. Engagement helps the show, and your feedback will improve it. And if you want to get more engaged, give the show a follow on Twitter at SelectPodStart. If you have thoughts about The Last of Us or any other game we've discussed, send a DM or leave a comment, and I will gladly read it on the show. You can also support me on Patreon. If you pledge at least $1 a month, you will get early access to new episodes as well as extended episodes with exclusive content. You can also follow me at Danny Vegito on Twitter and find links to the rest of my projects in the description of this episode. The art for the show is made by my best friend, Avery Ott. You can follow him on social media with the handle at Avery Robin Ott. That's A-V-R-Y Robin O-T-T. You can check out the links in the description for his work as well as Stephanie's Select and Start is on the Moonshot Network, which is supported by its own Patreon. Find out more at moonshotpods.com. All right, I think that's it. Endure and survive. People are making apocalypse jokes like there's no tomorrow. Too soon. That's it. 
That's all I got.